Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. And God, I pray that this morning that you would use me anyway, that we would explain your word as you speak to us, so your Holy Spirit would enlighten us to what you have to say to us about yourself and, your, and salvation. We pray that you would be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. While we have the introduction here, why don't you open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 10. We're going to be reading from verse 22 to 42, finishing up the chapter. But before we do that, I kind of want to do a little bit of review. As you remember, in October 2017, we commemorated the Reformation in um, October 31st of 1517, Martin Luther had 95 theses tacked to the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And these theses were his problems with the church at that time, how they had gone awry. And that we give as the starting point of the Reformation. Because of that Reformation, we are Protestants today rather than Catholics. That Reformation series that we did in October of last of 2017, the 500th anniversary, had five solas or slogans of the Reformation. We talked about God's word alone as that our final authority, in Christ alone as the source of our salvation and the uniqueness of Jesus. Grace alone, this is a gift from God and by faith alone given to us by God alone. All to the glory of God. Well, now is the 400th anniversary of the Cancels of Dort. Now, we know more about the Reformation in general than we do about the Cancels of Dort, so I'm going to take a little bit of time to explain what the Cancels of Dort were about. It's really Dorchester, which is a, a town in the Netherlands. And what had happened is the Reformed Church in the Netherlands was facing opposition. There are people called the Remonstrants who brought in some heresies against all the teachings of the Reformation in the, the United Churches, the National Reformed Churches of the Netherlands got together in this council. It included 62 delegates from Dutch delegates and 27 delegates from other countries. And they got together and they answered these five piercing, deep questions regarding the Christian faith resulting in a work called the Cancels of Dort. And this is the 400th anniversary of that document. As you notice, the t-shirt I'm wearing says, um, yeah, fighting tulips. And tulips became an acronym for what took place at the Cancels of Dort. And the tulip stands for an acronym meaning total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Well, this was attributed to Calvin, and Calvin didn't, didn't develop this. In fact, it says Geneva up here, and this did not come from Geneva, it came from Dorchester. These five points, they don't sum up the Christian faith, but they present the reformed view of how God saves his people. And I'm bringing this up today, not only because it's the 400th anniversary, 
But Jesus is going to be dealing with several of these points in the passage today. All pointing to God's absolute divine sovereignty in our salvation. These are also called the doctrines of grace. Now, there are several works which I'll mention at the end. This year, there's been a lot of publications regarding the Cancels of Dort, and they're excellent. I have a few of them that I'd recommend. If any of you are more interested in pursuing this, and hopefully you are after this, this sermon, we can go through that. Let's look at um, John 10, verse 22 to 42. And I'm going to read that, and it'll be on the screen. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who had given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but you for, for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away across, again, across the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. <laughs> this is a very fascinating piece of scripture. The historical setting is Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Feast of Dedication. Now, this is a new feast. This feast is not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned because this feast is really Hanukkah. So Hanukkah is mentioned in the New Testament. I never knew that until I studied this passage. So Hanukkah is the Feast of Lights or the Feast of Dedication. And what it represents is that in that intertestinal period of time, Israel was under the rule of a, a Greek, um, a descendant of a Greek, uh, the Greek leadership of Alexander the Great. And one of the rulers at that time, a guy named Antichus Epiphanes, led a pagan cult and they sacrificed pagan sacrifices on Israel's altar in the temple. And the story is they actually sacrificed a pig on that temple, an unholy animal. 
And that was considered the abomination of desolation that spoke about in Scripture. In that intertestamental period of time, a rebellion was led by Judas Maccabeus, and he took over the temple, and he kicked those guys out, and that was rebellion. And he's been praised for that. And they rededicated the temple on December 14th of 164 B.C. And that was now celebrated as the Festival of Lights or the Feast of Dedication, which now is called Hanukkah. Hanukkah comes up on December 23rd this year, if you're interested in that. This all took place in the winter. So now get the picture. Okay, we have Jesus presents to Jerusalem most often at the festival time, primarily uh, Passover. Now he's at the Feast of, of Lights, at the Feast of Dedica- uh, Festival of Dedication. And this is winter. And realize that now, just in a few short four months, Jesus is going to be sacrificed. So the rest of the Gospel of John takes place in that period of time. So this is leading to this final glorification of our Lord. Again, the Jews come to him, as they did after he healed the man who'd been lame for 38 years, saying, okay, what's the deal here? And Jesus tells them they didn't believe then, and he's telling them they don't believe now. All the works done in the name of the Father should have been sufficient for those who saw them to realize that he was different, that he was sent by the Father. John, or F.S. Bruce says, If his works and teaching did not convey their proper message, no words from him would have been any more convincing. Those those startling manifestations of Jesus' messianic power and nature are are portrayed in the Gospel of John. We've had these so far. You know, we learned that his first miracle was turning water into wine. He cleared the temple of 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 the money changers. He had that interaction with Nicodemus telling him he must be born again. He healed the, the royal official's son. He healed the man who was lame for 38 years. He fed 5,000 folks. He healed the blind man who was born blind, and the Jews yet did not get it. And Jesus tells us in verse 26 why they don't. Let's look at verse 26. It says, But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Now, how many times have you read that? I've read that a gazillion times. And I usually read it like this. You are not my sheep because you don't believe. It doesn't say that. It says you, are, you don't believe because you are not among my sheep. This is crucial. We have to understand it that way. Being Jesus' sheep, is a result is results in our believing him the believing his sheep is a result of that we must being a sheep must come first it is something that god does before we believe it's the basis that enables us to believe now we don't like that we want to be in control of that belief and i'm glad we're not god causes his sheep, to believe in him. We believe because we are God's chosen sheep and not vice versa. It is God who saves sinners. 
I saw a meme in Facebook this week. I'm a voyeur on Facebook. I don't contribute. And it said, grace is not a reward for faith, but the cause of it. That grace, our salvation that we get from God is a cause of our faith, not vice versa. If it was Jesus plus my faith that I can generate him equals salvation, that would be works. It's Jesus plus nothing equals my salvation. We don't want to think of our faith that we have to generate, that we have to manufacture, that we have to sustain is going to give us Jesus. That faith is given to us as a gift from God. Jesus talking to the Jewish leaders after he had healed the man born blind in John 8 said, whoever is of God, hears the word of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. We need a Savior. We are sinners and we need a Savior. And that's that T and that acronym of TULIP, that total depravity. Our sin is pervasive. It has affected every area of our life. It doesn't mean as bad as we could be. I could be worse. But it has affected everything I am and everything I do. If we think that I could generate faith in that, in that sinful condition, we're wrong. As Ephesians says in chapter 2, it says, you were dead. Not sick, not wounded. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by children, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were dead. Something had to be done to initiate life for his sheep. Something had to be done to us. We could not do it because we were dead. What is that something that had to be done? We look back at Ezekiel in 36. It says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God did this. Remember, God saves sinners. In Galatians, Paul says, But now that you have come to know God, or he changes that, he says, or rather, to be known by God. Paul tells us that we, his sheep, were chosen by God before creation of the world. In Ephesians 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in God, even as God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in love. That is the you. So we talked about T being told to pravity. The you is that unconditional election. Unconditional election means that I didn't do anything to deserve this. It didn't come because I had enough faith. It didn't come because I was good enough. It didn't come because I was better looking. And you would all agree with that. John Piper, in his book called Five Points, gives the definition of election. I want to read that. Election refers to God's choosing whom to save. 
it is unconditional in that there is no condition man must meet before God chooses to save him. Man is dead in trespasses and sin, so there is no condition he can meet before God chooses to save him from his deadness. But faith is not a condition for election. Just the reverse. Election is a condition for faith. The new birth is not a work of man. No human can make new birth happen. No preacher, no writer can make it happen. You can't make it happen to yourself. God makes it happen. It happens to us, not by us. And that's in his book, Finally Alive. John says the same thing. The writer of John talks about in John 1, verse 12 and 13, it says, But to all who did believe him, or who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All believers are born of God. Peter echoes that same thought. In Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. When Jesus was encountering Nicodemus, what did he tell Jesus, Nicodemus he had to do? He said, you must be born again. Jesus speaking to the 5,000 after feeding them says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In that same passage in John 6, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is effectual calling. All the elect, all that God has chosen will come to him. Why? He has given us a new heart. This is that unconditionality. He has given us a new heart. He said to Moses in Exodus that Paul repeats in Romans 9, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It is God who saves sinners. We are told that we cannot, we won't see the kingdom of God if we're not born again. And we're told that we can't be born, we can't make ourselves be born again. Therefore, if we are going to be born again, it will rely decisively and ultimately on God. His decision to make us alive will not be a response to what we as spiritual corpses do, but what we do will be a response. His making us alive. For most people, at least at first, this is unsettling. I grew up in a Christian home, in a Christian church, and I never heard about election. Never. I grew up, like most people, believing that for some reason, I believe this, maybe because I heard the message enough, maybe my parents believed it, Maybe because I was brought in the right home in the right country. But I believe this, and therefore I believe, therefore I'm a Christian. It was a result of my belief in Jesus. 
And I preached that throughout high school, throughout college, throughout my early adult life, that this was the way people became Christians. So when we evangelized, we did everything in our power to coerce, to convince people with better arguments that Jesus was Lord, you need to believe in him, so have this faith so you can be a Christian. You can be part of his, you can be part of his fold. You can be a sheep. And that's not correct. <clears throat> this can make us unsettling. You can ask yourself, well, am I elect? If you are here today and you believe Jesus, you are elect. The only reason you can believe in Jesus is because you are elect. <clears throat> there are objections to this doctrine. And this is what some of the remonstrants brought to the Church of the Netherlands. One, it denies free will. But remember the tea of tulip. We are totally deprived. Every action that we have is tainted by sin. On our own, we would never, ever choose him. But because we are elect, our hearts have been circumcised, we've been given a heart of flesh, and we can believe him. We can walk with him because of what he did for us. Another objection is, <clears throat> well, he eliminates the need for for. Um, Evangelism. Now, you know, my, my Adam was involved in young life growing up through high school and college. Aaron and Mindy do young life, preaching, witnessing to high school kids and junior high kids. One of their friends found out that they believed in this doctrine of election. He said, wait a minute, how can you believe in the doctrine, the doctrine of election and preach to people? And the answer is, we can do that freely because we know that there are people out there waiting to hear this message. The elect are waiting to hear this message and will turn to follow Jesus. We don't know who those elect are, but God has given us a command to preach his word. More than that, he has called us to be his agents in proclaiming his word. So evangelism now is a sure thing. Those elect are going to come to know him. And we may be the agents that present the gospel to them. Remember, God saves sinners. The other problem is, well, why did God choose me? And why doesn't he choose everybody? Have you heard that before? <laughs> what do we all deserve? We all deserve damnation. We are sinners by birth, our nature, and by action. And God is perfectly holy and cannot tolerate sin. Every one of us in this room deserves to go to hell. And the only reason we don't is because of God's grace saving us. What is fair is we all go to hell. There's no unfairness in this. God saves sinners. Let's look on at uh, John 10, 28-30. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is perseverance of the saints. If you are his sheep, if you are elect, that doesn't change. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. 
this is not as controversial as the point of election. I grew up not hearing about election, but I did hear about eternal security. If I believed and got my ticket punched by going forward or raising my hand or signing the card that I believed, I was saved. Nothing I could do. Change that. That's eternal security. I'm home free. That's not what this is about. We had the idea of once saved, always saved. So people could go, I made a confession, now I can live like I want. Our assurance rests on God's faithful guardianship over our salvation. We are in God's hands, protected by God's power. Calvin says, the salvation of the elect is as certain as God's power is invincible. God is greater and more powerful than Satan, than the world, than other people, yes, even than ourselves. This is our confidence. If our confidence was based on the faith that I could generate, I'm screwed. I'm sunk. Because my faith is weak. <laughs> and it's not based upon that. It's based upon God's doing in my life. In short, this is what Calvin says, in short, our salvation is certain because it is in the hand of God, our faith is weak, and we are given to wandering and wavering, but God has taken us in his hand and is powerful enough to scatter with a breath all the efforts of our enemies. Paul repeats the same thing in Romans 8. I'm going to read a relatively lengthy passage because it is so important. Romans 8, 31, it says, What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him, also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither the death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We really like the idea of getting our ticket punched and that was it. That easy believism. But that's not what Jesus says. Let's look back at Matthew. And Matthew gave the parable of the four soils. The soil number one was the, the path. The seed was thrown on the path. The birds came and ate the seed right away. Those are people who heard the word of God and didn't do anything to them and that was it. Then there's the rocky ground where you had... People hear the word and immediately they receive with joy, but they have no root. And when hardship comes, they fall away. Then you had that seed that was sown among the thorns, where these are people who hear the word of God, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word and it proves unfruitful. Then the last is the good soil. The one who hears the word and understands it, he will bear fruit. I grew up and was taught 
soil. One, for the people who never received Christ. Soils two and three were just carnal Christians. They were believers, they were Christians, but they were living a life that did not give Lord the lordship of their life. And only in four was obviously the normal good Christian people. And that's not true. To be part of Jesus' fold, be one of his sheep, you have had the good soil. One, two, and three. The rock, the path, the rocky soil, the thorns. Those people are not Christians. They hear the word, but it has no effect on their life. They don't persevere in their faith. Colossians 1, 21 to 23 says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Indeed, if, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Paul gives that caveat. If indeed you persist. This can be some bothersome. Am I really persevering in the faith? I ask myself all this, all this all the time. I heard uh, R.C. Sproul ask a group of people, it says, um, dealing with this issue, do you love Jesus with all your heart? Now I'll ask you that. Who in this room loves Jesus with all their heart? If you raise your hand, you're a liar. Do you love Jesus some? Yeah. How about, do you love Jesus just a little bit? If you can say you love Jesus just a little, it is only because you are his sheep. Persevering in faith does not mean that saints do not go through seasons of doubt and spiritual darkness and measures of unbelief in the promises and goodness of God. We all face that. But we must never come to the point of renouncing Christ with such hardness of heart that we can never return. I'm, I think my wife thinks I'm kind of crazy because I'm going through this Reviewing the sermon. Oh, she thinks I'm crazy anyway. But I'm going, I'm going through the sermon uh, in preparation. Yesterday I was sitting there and I was thinking about the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Half of my favorite hymn. It was written by Robert Robinson. He was an 18th century pastor. He wrote at the age of 22 in 1757. And, and I want to read verse 2 and 3 of that song. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I come. And I hope by thy good pleasure, safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger imposed by his precious blood. Verse 3, O to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, now like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The sheep follow Jesus. They followed the good shepherd. 
they persevere. Read in verse John 10.30, it says, Jesus says to the Jews, I and the Father are one. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, he says in verse 33, then do not believe. But if I do them, even though they do, you do not believe in me, believe the works, you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am the Father. This idea of election, this idea of perseverance can only become, only come because we have a good shepherd who is God incarnate. God, it is God who saves sinners. Jesus, our shepherd, is the one who paid the penalty for our sins, satisfying our debt to God. Jesus, the shepherd of his sheep, is the one who lived a sinless life, giving us his righteousness. So we can stand before God, forgiven, and more than that, righteous by the blood of Christ. Our sins are imputed to Jesus, and his righteousness is imputed to us. Jesus is our Savior. He's the good shepherd. He laid down his life for his sheep. This is very Trinitarian. We are saved by the Father through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. If you believe Jesus, trusting in him for salvation from sin, you are his sheep. And nothing can change that. Amen. What do sheep do? They follow the shepherd. That's perseverance of the saints. If you don't know Jesus today, what's stopping you? You are here hearing his word. And that's God's doing, bringing you here. We, as I mentioned before, we don't know who his sheep are. If you don't believe him, it doesn't mean you won't in the future doesn't mean God's not going to use us for that purpose. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of God. These things today are controversial. Not everybody believes the election. Not everybody believes the perseverance of the saints. People believe that it's by my faith that I am saved, and I have to keep that faith up. If I don't, I go to hell. People believe if you sin, you go to hell, that there's no forgiveness. There's no perseverance. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus dealt with that in this passage. We are his sheep and he is our shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we can only come to you and thank you for saving us. God, your mercy and your grace are magnificent. And we praise you for that. I pray that we would never forget these things. That we can be secure in our relationship with you. And confident, not because of our belief, but because of what you did. It's not because of us. It's because of you. And we pray that all this be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.